0: Well, it's good to be able to be back with you all. It's been a little while um, since I've had the opportunity to preach here at Prosper, but uh, just give you a quick update on Workplace, just because uh, you're part of the, uh, the birth of the organization, and uh, we certainly still acknowledge that, and uh, just thank you again for the way that uh, way back in 1999, 20 years ago now, uh, you supported your pastor at the time in uh, stepping out in faith to, uh, to try something different. And for six months, uh, he allowed Pastor Ron to, uh, to try his hand at being a workplace chaplain. And what do you know? God said, yep, that's what you're supposed to do. And uh, for the next season of his life, he was able to do that. And uh, I continue to be able to do that along with 16 other chaplains uh, because, of that, uh, because of that legacy. And so we thank you for the opportunity um, to minister daily in, uh, in Jesus' name, but uh, also in the name of Prosper Church as you've continued to support us down through the years. We thank you for that. Um, In all honesty, 2018 was a a really good year for Workplace, but it was also a really tough year. Um, With some of the economic upturn, um, some folks decided it was time to cash out on businesses that they had started years ago, and uh, other folks were interested because they had a little bit more money, and they said, hey, we want to buy your business, and in the midst of some of those business transitions, uh, some of the new ownership didn't always value Uh, the presence of a chaplain. And so, uh, yeah, we lost seven clients last year, uh, which is just unheard of for workplace. We gained one, but uh, we lost seven. And uh, a lot of those were smaller shops, and so they didn't impact us in a huge way. But it definitely did, uh, did make an impact. Um the company we added um was actually Johnsonville Brats. Um so I'm glad Mark isn't here today cuz yeah no nothing personal there Mark we're just kind of you may see Johnsonville Brats on our table occasionally alongside of the little town jerky ones but uh yeah that's how that works but uh anyway we uh, we certainly are thankful for uh for them being on board with us and uh we look forward to that relationship for a long time but uh again a lot of our other um, Things here in Michigan and and now into Wisconsin continue to go well, and we thank you for uh, for your support in that regard. Um, This morning, I'd I'd invite you to turn to uh, Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And as Betsy mentioned a minute ago, we're going to talk a little bit about freedom and about some other things, um, especially about love this morning. Galatians chapter 5, and this is from the ESV, English Standard Version. I think the Pew Bibles are NIV, but uh, they'll be fine. We won't have to yell at each other or be frustrated. We'll be okay. This is what Paul says to the church in Galatia. He says, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, be servants of one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. One of the most jarring sentences in the Bible goes like this. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 1 Corinthians thirteen three. Let me read it again. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now that sentence jars us because Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. And he taught us that that one of the ways to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate us and, and to bless those who persecute us is to give freely of our possessions. But here, Paul says, you can give away everything and you can even lay down your life and yet not be acting in love. You can make the final sacrifice and be lost forever. That call to love affects every aspect of our lives. Right now in our country, it's, it's a season where, where politics just seems to dominate. So much of, of what we do, even up here in, in out-of-the-way Falmouth, is impacted by those calling us to the right or to the left and to be a part of this movement or to be a part of that movement. But this, this statement about love means that all of our activism, all of our political activity needs to be exposed to this radical biblical critique. On the right, we're summoned to work for the rights of unborn humans, for, for a strong defense, for prayer in public schools, to, to support the, the nation of Israel, family values, balanced budgets. You know the drill. I mean, this is Misaki County, Right? On the left, we're summoned to work for a more just distribution of the world's goods to battle climate change or nuclear disarmament, the end of interventionist policies and programs to combat poverty or unemployment. The Christian right and the Christian left are calling people to action, and rightly so. Because if there's one thing that Jesus cannot be accused of, it's an indifference to the needs of people. But there is a radical Biblical critique, which Christians on the right and Christians on the left must never forget. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Or to put it very bluntly, you can go to hell fighting for poverty programs. And you can go to hell fighting for a prayer amendment. Because love can never be defined as mere deeds love always involves the condition of the heart of the doer we say that again love can never be defined simply as mere deeds it always involves the condition of the heart of the doer if we want to bring the message of the bible to bear on the problems of the world around us we need to realize that the bible is much more radical than the agenda of either the right or the left. It says to both, though you give your body to be burned in the service of your agenda and have not love, you gain nothing. Love can never be equated with with anyone's agenda because no agenda is love unless it comes from a certain kind of heart. We might be impressed with a, with a person who gives a, a million dollars to build a hospital over in Bangladesh, but God looks on the heart, and he queries the hidden motives of the soul. It's important for us to remember that Christianity is not primarily an agenda for political activity. It's primarily a power that radically changes the human heart. Christianity is not primarily an agenda for political activity. It's primarily a power that radically changes the human heart. So we come back to this passage in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. I've, I've found in my own experience that, that the Holy Spirit often uses the, the commands of Scripture, and especially some of the theological arguments behind those commands, to help change my heart. And this is my aim as we look at this passage in Galatians 5 this morning. I pray that God will apply his word to your mind and your heart in such a way that love begins to come more naturally and more freely than it ever has before. For you were called to freedom, brethren, Paul says. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love be servants of one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word or this one teaching. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. The logic of this passage is is actually pretty simple. First, Paul restates the foundation of the Christian life. You were called to freedom. It's it's a major theme throughout the book of Galatians. The the book is built on this idea that as Christians, we have freedom. Freedom from the law. Freedom from the requirements of doing this and doing this to somehow be accepted. It restates over and over again how our foundation is found, just as we sang a moment ago, because of our relationship with Christ. And so Paul says, you were called to freedom. Again, it's the theme of his book. And then based on that call, he gives a, a twofold command to the people there in Galatia. Negatively, he tells them, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And then positively, he gives the same command. Through love, be servants of one another. And then to support that, that negative and positive command, he gives a negative and positive incentive to love positively he says the whole law is fulfilled in this one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself and negatively he says if you fail to do that you will bite and devour one another and take heed that you're not consumed by one another i just want to break this down for a minute with you so let's first of all focus on that positive command in verse 13 through love be servants of one another Listen to what happens when you put that command together with the first part of the verse. It says, you were called to freedom, and so through love, serve one another. You were called to freedom from servitude. Now in love, submit yourselves to servitude. Here's the question we should ask. Why is love, which serves the needs of others, the only way that Christian freedom Can express itself? Why is a love that that serves the needs of others the only way God says that Christian freedom can express itself? Why is the call to freedom and the call to service and to love synonymous? When Paul says don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, he means that if you try to do that, you'll lose your freedom. As verse 1 says, you'll submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's important for us to realize in this passage that, that the works of the flesh and the fruit of love are not two different ways to live in freedom. When you live according to the flesh, you're living in slavery. But when you serve each other in love, you're living in freedom. Now, why is that? It's because love is motivated by the joy of sharing our fullness. Love is motivated by the joy of sharing our fullness. But the works of the flesh are motivated by a desire to try to fill our emptiness. See that? Love is motivated by by the joy of sharing out of our fullness. But the works of the flesh are motivated by a desire to fill up our emptiness. The meaning of flesh in the book of Galatians isn't talking about the skin stuff on the outside of our bodies. That's not what, what Paul means when he says your flesh is weak. He doesn't mean look out because you may have you know a spot in your skin that tears open and your gut's bush out or whatever, right? I, yeah. I don't know. Or you start bleeding at least, right? We won't get too graphic here. But but that's not what he's saying. He's not saying your flesh is weak, so, you know, walk around like this and hold all your pieces together because you may just break down sometime. What he's talking about when he says flesh is our ego. Who we are inside, that that part of man, not the physical part, but our ego which feels a deep emptiness. And it uses any means within its own power to try to fill that emptiness. If it's it's religious, it may use the law. It may say, okay, because I feel this emptiness, I'm going to make all of these laws, and then I'm going to keep all these laws, and then I'm going to feel better about myself because I'm trying to fill that hole inside of me somehow. If it's not religious, it may just use booze or something else like that. I'm just gonna fill that hole, right? How many people haven't we talked to that that as they talk about their lives spiraling out of control, they just talk about how they grabbed for anything that they thought might satisfy. And they tried to fill that spot with it. It's kind of like when, you know, the older days when the tubs didn't have the little strainer on it and you just had the rubber plug. Once you pull the plug, The water's going down the hole, unless you fill that with something else. And that's how people who live according to the flesh live their lives. They're like that hole in the tub, and the water's flowing through, and they're just trying to find something to fill that up, so they can feel that fullness that they long for. But one thing is sure. Our flesh is not free. It's... It's enslaved to one futile desire after another in an attempt to fill an emptiness which only Christ can fill. So when Paul says in verse 13, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, he means don't surrender the freedom that you have in the all-satisfying Christ to return to those unsatisfying desires for mere physical pleasure or self-exaltation. So the works of the flesh are motivated by a desire to fill our emptiness. But love, love is very different. Love is motivated by the joy of sharing out of our fullness. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, just a couple verses after the one about um, doing things but not having love, verse 5 says, Love doesn't seek its own. When we love, We're not enslaved to use things or people to somehow fill our emptiness. Love is the overflow of our fullness. Therefore, love is the only behavior that we can do in true freedom. When God frees us from guilt and fear and greed and fills us with his presence, the only motive left is the joy of sharing our fullness When God fills the emptiness of our heart with forgiveness and help and guidance and hope, He frees us from the bondage to try to accumulate things or to manipulate people. People who devote large hunks of their lives to surrounding themselves with the comfort of the world will testify that God hasn't filled the void of their heart to overflowing. It's Sunday, we worship, and then as Americans, we watch football. Think about the football players you've seen interviewed who've talked about having everything available to them. Money is no object. Anything they want, they can have. And so they grab this and they grab that and they grab this and then they retire and they, they're, they're broke. They have nothing. And they tell you everything I tried to put into my life wouldn't fill the hole. Maybe on a smaller scale and, and not quite so drastic as a professional athlete. We think about friends or family members that we've watched through, through years just kind of swirling around that hole and falling down into it. As they've tried to pull in all kinds of things to fill the emptiness that only Christ can fill. Those people are not free They may appear free. They may appear more free than you. They may appear that they have that day that Betsy talked about where they can do whatever they want. They can choose their own course for the day. Anything they long for, they can do. But they're not free. Because they choose to take that day and try to fill their lives in a way they never will be able to. Freedom flows out out of our lives, in love, just as surely as a bubbling spring flows out and begins a mountain stream and waters an entire valley. But the flesh is like a vacuum cleaner. It sucks and it sucks and it sucks and just at the moment it starts to feel full maybe, somebody comes along and changes the bag and you have to start the process all over again. The book of Galatians is written to show us how to become a mountain spring that serves the valley below us with the waters of love that flow out of our lives, that flow out of our hearts because of the fullness we have in Christ. There's no more fulfilling way to live than to draw daily on God's all-satisfying grace and to let it flow through us to help meet the needs of others. Verses 14 and 15 give us that that positive and negative incentive to live like this. First of all, verse 14 says, Live like this. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In spite of all of the negative things that Paul says in the book of Galatians about works of the law, it's not a matter of indifference whether Christians fulfill the law in their behavior. The good news is that love which is an overflow of God's grace, is what fulfills the law. All God was after in the law was people who are so satisfied by his grace that their lives become that, that fountain or spill spout of love. There's a lot of confusion today as well about, about this self-love that's referred to in this, in this verse. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The most common error is to assume that this is somehow a command to love yourself. And that self-love means somehow self-esteem. Both of those assumptions are just wrong. Paul and Moses and Jesus himself assume that all people love themselves. They never command you to love yourself. You shall love your neighbor as you already love yourself. And the self-love they assume isn't self-esteem, but rather it's self-interest. Self-interest. All people want to be happy, even if they have no idea what will make them happy. We know this because Paul, in, in explaining the same idea back in the book of Ephesians, says this. He says, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, even as Christ does the church. In other words, love means, or self love means the strong interest that you have in your own health and safety and happiness. Love your neighbor as yourself is not a command to love yourself, it's a command to take your natural already existing love of yourself and make it the measuring rod of your love for others. Think about that again. Love your neighbor as yourself isn't a command to love yourself. It's a command to take the natural already existing love of yourself and to make it the measuring rod of your love for others. There isn't a harder command in the Bible than this one. Because let me tell you what what that means. If we we love others the same way that we long to be, it means that we ought to want to feed the hungry as much as we want to feed ourselves when we get hungry. Right? We get hungry, we don't ignore that, we don't go away from that, we don't say, good, I'm going to do a whole week of feeling hungry. We feed ourselves because we have that self-interest. And to love other people simply means that we ought to want to feed the hungry as much as we want to be fed ourselves. It means we want to find our neighbor a job as much as we're glad that we have a job. It might mean that we want a fellow student to get A's as much as we want to get A's. It may mean you want to help the person who's stalled on the freeway as much as you're glad that you're not the person stalled on the freeway. To want to give the poor player a chance to play as much as you want to play the whole game yourself. It means we ought to want to share Christ with our neighbor as much as we're glad that we know Christ ourselves. Use all the creativity and energy and perseverance to do good things for others that you use in doing good things For yourself care about what happens to others as much as you care about what happens to yourself can you imagine what the church would be like if we if we were all living like that looking at the person to the right or to the left of you and feeling the same longing for their happiness that you feel for your own Not only would the law of Christ be fulfilled, but this place would be glowing with a sense of joy and the glory of God would unmistakingly be present here in our midst. And people would be converted, let me tell you that. Let's be like that in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's seek to live that way. Because if we don't, if we don't, Verse 15 tells us the tragic alternative. If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you're not consumed by one another. A church full of people who don't serve each other in love will destroy itself. Paul tells us very plainly that a church full of people who don't serve each other in love will destroy itself. Now God has been good to this church. Now, if I was in a Baptist church, I would have heard at least one amen, even a weak one. But I'm just saying, God has been good to your church. You know that, right? You know that. I love to come here. Why? Not just because I get to see friends, but because I feel the presence of Christ when I come and preach in this place. God has been good to your church to pour out a spirit of love upon these people for many years. But right now, it's a gut check time for the current congregation. And we need to ask ourselves, are we biting and devouring one another? Because my prayer is that you would abound more and more in love for one another and even for all men. And remember that we can only love if we're free. That is, again, a love motivated by the joy of sharing our fullness not by the desire to fill our emptiness. Is it a coincidence that verse 15 describes what wild animals do when they're starving, not when they're filled? When they're empty instead of content, that they bite and devour one another. Take heed that you're not consumed. When you're not filled with God, it becomes sweet to eat your enemy. But brothers and sisters, God has called us to the freedom of fullness which overflows in love, not to the slavery of emptiness, which bites and devours and is never satisfied. In Jesus Christ, God offers us forgiveness, daily help, guidance, and hope for the greatest future imaginable, and it's all free, purchased by the death of Jesus and received by faith alone. The secret of love is freedom and the secret of freedom is an utter confidence in the love of god which gives us a clue returning to the start as to why a person might be able to give away all of their goods and deliver their body to be burned and yet not have love such a person may not be acting in freedom They may not be motivated by by the joy of sharing a God-given fullness, but only by a deep longing to fill their own emptiness. And in that case, they're not acting in love. And God isn't honored as the source of their fulfillment. May it not be so among us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we simply would praise you and thank you this morning for the wisdom of your plan that before the foundation of the earth you, you knew us and you loved us. And you provided us with a way to not only know that love but to, to give that love to those around us. To represent you. To be your children. To be forgiven, not forsaken. And so, Lord, we thank you, and we ask that you would help each of us to live out the truths in these verses that we have looked at this morning, that you would truly allow us to live and to love out of the fullness of our hearts as we have been satisfied by your presence and your grace in our lives, as we thank you for Jesus and pray in his name. Amen. a quick reminder, the potlucks for the district is today in the fellowship hall. I was asked to mention it. So. Hey. This song is a little bit uh, hard for us to play just guitar. There's no piano. But uh, Rich supposed to come, I think, before the third verse, but we're just going to sing the whole thing. And then since the sermon was about love, so... I'm hoping Marjon and Ellie can forgive me for that. of your willingness to die on our behalf that our sins might be forgiven, that our lives might be filled with love. Cause us to go out from this place as as those filled up with a true sense of who we are as your children and allow that love to spill out to those around us this week. As we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people said, amen. Amen man thank you